Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. I am Pastor Anthony, like Israel said. And it is my great pleasure. I am so psyched to talk about the part of Colossians that everyone has been waiting for, right? The final greetings. Let's just clear this up right now. If there are two parts of the Bible that you skip, and they are genealogies and greetings, I completely understand. Everybody does it, right? Like, so-and-so begot so-and-so, name I can't pronounce is having kids that I can't pronounce, we turn the page. You know, name I can't pronounce, saying hi to someone whose name I can't pronounce, we turn the page, and we go for the content that actually has meat there, right? We go for the pages that actually have something to say. So if you've ever had that thought, you know, I absolve you, don't feel bad, I think we all have, but... We are going through the book verse by verse exegetically, and it falls to me, lucky me, to talk about the final greetings. And as I dug into this, I was mildly rebuked because you know what? There's substance here. It turns out that the whole Bible is the Bible, right? All of the living word is the living word, not just the parts that don't have names I can't pronounce. So we are going to go through this last section verse by verse. We're going to break it up into four chunks, okay? The first chunk is Paul's going to talk about the guys who are bringing this letter to the Colossians. That's going to be our first chunk. And then the second chunk and the third chunk are going to be what I call Team Paul. Paul talks about the co-workers that are with him, his fellow laborers in the Lord. And that's split up into two parts, Team Paul the Jews and Team Paul the Gentiles. There's three, three Jews and three Gentiles, actually, that are with Paul that say hi to the Colossians. And that's going to be part three and four. And then the last part is just going to be Paul's final thoughts, his final words right before he writes his, his uh, fair, final farewell in verse 18. You guys ready for that? And after each section, here's the kicker, we're going to kind of read between the lines and see if there's not a lesson, something a little deeper that we can imply from the text. And there is, actually, and it's quite beautiful. So we're going to do that. Let's go through it. Colossians 4, 7 to 18. We're starting right now with chat with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. First name, Tychicus, or Tychicus if you prefer. I really don't know which is more correct, but this guy is cool. He's no noob, all right? This isn't some guy that's fresh on the scene. This guy has been with Paul for a while. When Tychicus, excuse me, when Paul, in Acts chapter 20, has to change travel plans due to a death threat. Okay, he was he stayed in Greece three months, and he's going to go here, and he finds out, well, people are waiting to kill me if I do this, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to go over here. Who wants to come? And there are a couple guys that are like, sure, death threats don't bother us. We'll go with you. And this is one of those guys, all right? He's a pretty hardcore dude. And he's probably also one of Paul's trusted letter carriers. We read almost the same description of him in Ephesians, chapter 6, 21 and 22. So I'm imagining somebody who's like travel savvy and tough, you know what I mean? It's not biblical, but in my mind, maybe an Indiana Jones type character comes to mind. I can't prove that, you know, he probably didn't have the same style hat. But this is a faithful, dedicated guy. He's not new to this. Death threats don't bother him. And he can travel all over Asia and be trusted by Paul to deliver those letters. All right? This is a cool guy. He's also called, and this is worthy of note, a minister. We're going to look at what Paul comments on 
in his co-workers? What does he commend? What does he compliment? And here we see the first time it says he's faithful, and he's a faithful minister, a fellow servant. These are servant words, right? To Paul, being a servant is a good thing. If you're a servant of God, that's a compliment. It's backwards according to the world standards, but to Paul, that's a big deal. And that's what he wants the Colossians to know about this guy. Tychicus, my man, my letter carrier is coming, and he's a faithful servant of the Lord. Why is he going? Verse 8. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Encourage your hearts. He's not just bringing the letter. He's going with another job. Paul wants the Colossians to be encouraged. If you go to chapter 1, Paul's really happy to find out how the Colossians are doing. He's super psyched to hear about their love in the Spirit. And he's praying and thanking God for them. And now he wants the Colossians to be encouraged too. So that's another one of Tychicus's jobs. But Tychicus is not going there alone. Someone else is going with him and carrying this letter. And it's kind of unexpected. Verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. All right, test of churchiness. If you were at church like every day of the week when I was, basically born in church, you know, Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, Friday night, special service, you've probably heard of Onesimus. Who's heard of Onesimus? Oh, yeah, lots of people. Okay, cat's out of the bag. So this is a slave, guys. If you look in the book of Philemon, Paul tells a little bit of a story. Paul was in prison in Rome. Good place to get lost, Rome. And he runs into this runaway slave. The runaway slave gets saved. He encounters Paul, gets influenced by Paul, gets transformed. And eventually, we don't know how much time passes, Paul's like, you know what you have to do, man? You got to go back. You got to go back to your master, Philemon, who happens to be in Colossae, most likely. And he writes this letter to his master to receive him back. And in the letter, we find out some interesting things about Onesimus. One, Paul admits, yeah, not only is he a runaway slave, but previously, he was worthless. Verse 11 of Philemon, dude was worthless. Paul's like, I know it. Now he's going to be useful, I promise. And then later in the letter, he alludes to the fact that he may have stolen from his master. He might not only be a runaway slave, but a thief. Because Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I'll repay it. Runaway slave, thief. He's already a slave. That's pretty low. Now he's a runaway thief, right? Gets saved. And now listen to this introduction. He's going with Tychicus, and he's a faithful and dear brother. That's a cool transformation, isn't it? Interesting. Very interesting. And they're going to tell him, tell the Colossians, everything that is happening here, everything that's happening with Paul. What's the between the lines takeaway? This is the first between the lines thing. Love people. Don't tune out. This isn't generalization. I'm going to get to the why this actually matters here. Love people. All three verses, 7, 8, and 9. Listen to the idea Paul repeats. Verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Verse 8. I am sending you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. Verse 9. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Paul is eager for them to know about him because he just found out about them. 
He was encouraged by finding out about their circumstances. He wants them to be encouraged by Tychicus. Paul really loves people. And who is Paul? Paul is the apostle extraordinaire, right? Missionary extraordinaire. Evangelist extraordinaire. Miracle worker. Prophetic. He's casting out demons and healing people. And yet he knows names and addresses. He cares about individuals. And I think the lesson here for us, the reminder, is that we never attain to a rank or a level of maturity, air quotes for the videotape, or a position or a calling or a job in the church where the dual command to love God and love people can become abstract. It must always be personal. It's kind of cool. All right. See, final greetings. There's, there's stuff here. Who knew, right? Who knew? Am I the only one that's discovering this for the first time? Don't answer that. Now we move on to Team Paul. Those are the cool dudes that are bringing the letter. Now Paul's going to say, these are the guys that are with me. These are my fellow laborers, my co-workers, and I'd like them to say hi to you. In fact, they greet you. We're going to start with Team Paul, the Jews. All right? Verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then in parentheses, we have this statement about Mark. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. This again, these are interesting verses when we look into it. Who is Aristarchus? I'm telling you, I had never thought about Aristarchus before preparing this message, but it turns out this is another hardcore dude. Paul had some hardcore dudes with him. Who remembers the story in Acts 19? Paul and company go into Ephesus, and they're having such an impact in the thriving metropolis of Ephesus that the idol makers have a conference, and this guy Demetrius is like, we're going to go out of business. Like, if the current trend continues, they're going to shame the local god, Artemis, and we're not going to have jobs anymore. We have to do something. Now a riot starts. They freak out. They get everybody else in the city to freak out. They're looking for Paul. They can't find him, but they find his two buddies. One of the two buddies... Aristarchus. They drag them downtown to the theater where no good was about to happen for sure, and they're there for hours just rioting, and finally they're dispersed, and miraculously no harm comes to either one of those guys. But this is a dangerous spot, man. Like Paul being Paul is like, well, I'm going to go out there and talk to him, and his buddies are like, no, you get back in the house. They can't even find out where you are. This is really bad, right? And there's Aristarchus in the middle of the mob, you know, probably getting his clothes torn and Oh, this is one of those guys. We need him out of our city. Miraculously, he's okay. Flip the chapter. Three months in Greece, and then we have the death threat change of plans, right? Paul wants to go this way. There's people waiting to kill him. I better go this way. Who wants to keep coming with me? Aristarchus is like, I'll go. I love traveling with you. This is great. What could go wrong? You know, traveling with Paul's fantastic. So, you know, and we see Aristarchus continuing on with Paul after getting mistreated by a mob. And then in Acts 27, and this is really cool, when Paul is finally on his way to Rome to stand before the emperor and give his defense, this is one of the we passages in Acts, right? So Luke is probably with him, because Luke writes Acts, and when he says we, he means me and Paul. And the trip to Rome is me and Paul and Aristarchus. Guys, he's with Paul in Rome right now. He left with Paul to go to Rome. I think it's safe to say he was in the shipwreck on the way to that destination. Angry mob, death threat, shipwreck, and he's still hanging out. That's the kind of guy Aristarchus is. Man, can I have like about 
10 of those, please, like to be my friends. Good grief. Will anything make this guy stop? You know, that is a cool dude. I don't see any kids being named Aristarchus. Maybe I'll start a trend. Who knows? What would you call him? Aris? Starkey? I don't know. That's just a thought. All right, moving on. John Mark. Traditionally, this is the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark. What is interesting is that Mark was also a travel companion to Paul, right? But if you read in Acts 13, Paul, his good buddy Barnabas, and Mark are on mission, and Mark raises his hand and says, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going home. doesn't seem to be too big a deal until they're putting together the next trip, and John and Barnabas meet at Starbucks, and this happens in Acts 15, 37 to 39. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Read between the lines, that dirty quitter couldn't handle it, we're not bringing him along. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Whoa, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Okay, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Who is Barnabas, right? Barnabas is the guy that actually brought Paul into the church. The church didn't trust Paul because he had been killing Christians. And finally, Barnabas comes and says, no, this guy's for real. And he is of such standing that they believe him. They called him the son of encouragement. I think everybody likes Barnabas. Apparently, even the Colossians know Barnabas because Paul says Mark is Barnabas's cousin, and we get the impression that they say, oh, yeah, Barnabas, he's great. It's kind of like Seth Gerber. Everywhere he goes, he's everybody's favorite person. I get the impression. And Paul's fighting with that guy. That's crazy. Over Mark, we have a big three-way grudge match, right? But apparently something happened because now Mark is there. Aristarchus and Mark and one more guy. Verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. And these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. These three guys are the only Jewish people with Paul. And the one we know the least about, this justice guy, still does something crazy important and awesome. He's a comfort to the Apostle Paul. You know, if you're a comfort and a support to your leaders, that's a ministry in and of itself, I'm telling you. It never occurred to me that I should be a comfort to my leaders when I was growing up. I mean, this is new in the past five years, probably. You know, leaders were there to disagree with and give attitude to and be cantankerous and... You know, and I would never have stated those things, but that's kind of how I acted, you know, because that's their job. I'm like, oh my goodness, that, can you get more unbiblical than that attitude? We need to be a comfort and a support to our leaders, even when they dare to lead us. Maybe especially then. And even this guy, who we don't know anything else about, was doing that for Paul. That's pretty cool. Let's read between the lines in chunk two, all right? Chunk one was love people. That seemed like it came out of left field, but it's right there. Here's the lesson for chunk two. We need to live in restoration and forgiveness. We have to live in it. Let's read what Paul just wrote these people in Colossians chapter three, verses 12 to 13. They just read this out loud, but right before reading these final greetings. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here's the key verse, 13. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Don't miss the beauty of a diehard like Aristarchus being put right next to and equal to a former quitter like Mark. Wow. And Paul's like, these are my bros. You know, and he doesn't even throw Mark under the bus. He goes over and above to commend him. He'd already sent instructions about how great he was. And now he's like, this guy's also the cousin of Barnabas. When he comes to you, you need to treat him well. The past is literally past. We have to live in forgiveness and restoration. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate that. Thank you. Amens are good, too. I appreciate all that. All right, moving on to our third chunk. Team Paul, the Gentiles. And conveniently, we have three of these gentlemen as well. The first on the list we've already heard about in Colossians chapter 1, and this is Epaphras. This guy's the man. Check this out. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. Paul's vouching for this guy, that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Let's talk about Epaphras. What did Paul already say about him right in the beginning of chapter 1? Colossians 1.7, he's talking about the gospel. He says, you Colossians learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. We already talked about how Paul loves the servant thing, and he's been called a servant three times to Paul. That's pretty good. And now Paul is vouching for him and saying he's working hard for you. How is he working hard? The Colossians are in Colossae, and this guy apparently is in Rome with Paul. He's wrestling in prayer. Wrestling in prayer. This word has the idea of like fighting to the point of physical pain, like in a contest. You know, like a marathon runner in mile 25. You know what I mean? I imagine that Paul had to like shut Epaphras behind a couple doors to have his morning coffee because he was like so loud and like hitting desks and stuff and interceding. I can't prove that. But, you know, this guy's a prayer warrior for real. And Paul says, that's hard work. That kind of prayer that comes from the heart, man, that's legitimate work for others in the kingdom. It matters. So when we pray, we're not just talking into the air, are we? We're making a difference. We're working. Interesting note on him. There are two other people Paul gives the title slave of Christ. Himself, Timothy, his right-hand man, and this guy, Epaphras. He's almost like a mini Paul. For sure he started the church in Colossae. They heard the gospel from him. He may have started the churches in Hierapolis and Laodicea too. And now even in his absence, just like Paul bearing the weight of the churches, he's wrestling for them in prayer. Paul, no doubt, well, I can't say no doubt because who really knows for sure, but I imagine he may have seen a little bit of himself in this guy. Similar heart. And then we have two more dudes. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke the doctor, some of your translations may say the beloved physician. This is the one verse we find out Luke was a doctor. And Demas, send greetings. 
Luke, I already mentioned, was a trusted travel companion of Paul. If you read in Acts all the times that it says, we went here and we went there, it's probably because Luke was with him. You know, so shipwrecks, the whole bit. No wonder Paul loved this guy. Okay, he's great. He was faithful. And Demas. Time out. Nothing is said about Demas. He's not a comfort to Paul like Justice was. He's not given any sort of commendation except, hey, this guy says hello. There may be an interesting progression present in the Bible revolving around this Demas guy. In Philemon, Paul says this guy is a co-worker. In Colossians, he's just some guy that says hi. And by the time Paul is nearing the end of his journey, perhaps, and he writes 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.10, he tells his number one trusted dude, he's like, Timothy, Demas has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica because he loves this present world. It's interesting. So this guy eventually is going to quit. Let's read between the lines, shall we? Paul, well, I'll just tell you the main point. I've been doing that all along. I'm going to continue to do it. Here it is. Have the heart of a servant. Have the heart of a servant. Man, what did Jesus say over and over again? But you can read it in Mark 9.35, that the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. We have a foot-washing Savior, right? You can open your book, your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. You can read about the mind of Christ. Does not have a problem being humble. All right? He said, you don't lead like the world leads. You don't pound people over the head. We lead and we live as servants. And if you wanted to get a compliment from Jesus on the way you lived your life, it was because you had an others-focused, loving servant's heart. And if you wanted to get a compliment from Paul... It was because you had this servant's heart. Which makes me wonder about Demas. He's on the team for a reason. Right? He brought something. I wonder what he brought. I wonder if he was the best speaker. I wonder if he was the most intelligent. I wonder if he played a bunch of instruments. I wonder if he was the most well-read or the best scholar or something. We'll never know. Because he apparently didn't have the most important attribute. And that was a servant's heart. Or else Paul would have mentioned it. Have a servant's heart. Is this good so far? We're all the way at the last part already. Oh man, final thoughts. Here we go. This is the recap. This is Paul saying his final his final greetings to people personally. That concludes his team. Here we go, verse 15. Paul says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Interesting note on this. Laodicea and Hierapolis keep coming up in this book. You know, I'm writing to you and say hi to Laodicea and Hierapolis. You know, Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea and Hierapolis were the big thriving trade towns. Colossae used to be about 200 years before this was written. It was the has-been town, okay? And everybody knew it. It had been eclipsed by its close neighbors, Laodicea and Hierapolis. And I just love how Paul almost gives the impression like, you guys are super important to me. I love you. And when you get a chance, tell those other guys I say hi. It's just kind of neat how he seems to give them the prominent place, you know? So that's a side note. Let's talk about Nympha and the church in her house. 
Nympha is a girl's name. So here we have a church and a lady's house, and probably she was the leader of the house church. Some of the ancient manuscripts, I guess there's a few that I was reading a commentary on it, they have an S on the end of Nympha, and it's Nymphus, but most translations and most scholarly panels agree, like, no, this is, this is a lady's name. You know, this is a female head of a house church, and Paul wants to say hi. It's pretty cool. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, those other guys, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Verse 17 is kind of cool. Tell Archippus. Who's supposed to tell Archippus? Paul Is Paul telling Archippus or is he telling the Colossians to tell Archippus? He's telling the Colossians to tell Archippus. Complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. This guy's mentioned in Philemon too. There's a close connection between Philemon and Colossians. He has a house church, and he's called a fellow soldier. So this is a dude who's in it to win it. He's committed, right? Paul compliments him. He's a soldier for the faith. And Paul is saying, tell this guy to complete the ministry he's received in the Lord. I was talking to Cameron, and wouldn't it be cool if Paul's dictating this letter to a scribe, right? A lot of times in the old days, that's what they did. You didn't actually write things yourself. You dictated and then you came in at the end and you wrote the final greeting and that's what we're going to say here see here wouldn't it be neat if he's pacing and dictating and he says oh and tell Archippus he needs to complete that ministry could be a recorded word of knowledge or a prophecy in the bible it's possible and then they'd read this out loud and Archippus would say oh my gosh I was just journaling about that this morning and the whole church would be edified it's possible it is but it's also possible that Paul knew very well what Archippus was supposed to be doing. If he knows he's a fellow soldier and he has a house church, there's probably some relationship there, and he probably knows Archippus is calling, and he's probably telling the Colossians, guys, tell him he can do it. Tell him to do it. Tell him to go for it. This may be a word of encouragement. It's not a rebuke. Paul didn't have a problem rebuking people face to face. You know, He didn't have a problem writing in the letter, hey, stop it, you, by name. And here he's telling the church to come underneath this leader and be like, man, you can do it. Fulfill that ministry in the Lord. That's kind of cool. Apparently, even Paul needed comfort from his co-workers. And I think it's fair to say Archippus needed a little encouragement from his church. So something to bear in mind. Last verse, 18. Paul takes the pen from the scribe and says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Remember my chains. Okay, Paul's literally in chains. He's probably chained to a Roman guard. As he's writing, there's probably a literal chain on his wrist, and this is for sure a prayer request, because who wants to be in chains, right? Where does Paul want to be? He wants to be in Colossae, visiting with these people. Right? He wants to go to Rome. He wants to go see Timothy. He wants to go to all these places because he's a lover of people and he wants to know how they're doing. So this is a prayer request. Guys, I can do much more work, much more effectively free. Okay? Get me out of here. But it's not a cry to pity. Because we know that previously in this book, Paul has said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? 
because he sees that as an honor, almost as sharing in the work of Christ himself, suffering for the church. He considers it an honor and a privilege to suffer. So it's more than just a prayer request. And if you want to get deeper inside the mind of Paul and how he viewed his hard life, and it was hard, ask Archippus and Tychicus, it wasn't easy. This is how he thinks about it. You can scoot over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And there's another problem in Corinth at this point. We've got some false apostles showing up, and they don't have a problem talking about how awesome they are and how they have a right to speak, apparently. They are trying to get authority. So Paul responds to that by doing a little boasting of his own and talking about why he should have authority. And we're going to read a little bit of that here. 2 Corinthians 11, 22-23. Paul says this about the other guys. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. Whoa, Paul's saying he's more of a servant of Christ than these guys? Why, Paul? I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And in this chapter, you can read the laundry list of things that most people would consider shameful. But Paul considers the earmark of his authority as an apostle. He says, this is what it looks like to be the real deal, and I am. Flogged, in prison, suffering, shipwrecked, beaten, opposed, in danger. So listen to me, not these guys who want to toot their own horns about how awesome they are. So when Paul says, remember my chains, he's saying, I'd like to be free so I can be more efficient. But he's also saying, I just wrote you some pretty heavy stuff. Remember that I can do that. Remember that I'm an apostle. And listen to what I said. And then he ends the letter the way he frequently does. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. You know, I didn't pull it up. I should have. I'm going to read out of the Blue Letter Bible app, which I highly suggest everybody gets. It is truly amazing. This word grace. Paul begins Colossians with grace, and he ends Colossians with grace, like he does a lot of his letters. Our Christian lives will begin with grace, and we will end in grace. You know, We need grace now. We should be in grace all the time. And that's why Paul says, grace be with you. He knows he just wrote them some pretty heavy stuff, and they're going to need that grace. Let's read what grace is. Here we go. Uh-oh. Oh, trouble, guys. I'm on 4G. I'm not on LTE. I'm not on Wi-Fi. Well, I'll just tell you. It would have been much more powerful after I read the definition because I would be summing up. But this is the comfort of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the undeserved favor of God that works on us to be saved and that strengthens us and helps us to mature after we're saved. This is the power of God that turns a human being that can't do it into a servant of Christ that can. This is real-time help and enablement. And it's a comfort. And it feels good. And we need it. And Paul's like, man, grace to you guys. Let that be the last word. Get that grace. He opens the letter with it. He closes the letter with it. And I don't know about you guys, but I would like a little more of it. So I will receive that. Let's look at the final takeaway. We're going to read between the lines of the whole final greeting section. We found out 
Paul really loves people and so should we. We need to live in forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul not only said to do it, he modeled it. And we need also to have a servant's heart. Here's the interesting lesson that I got out of the final greetings. Live in unity. Specifically, the unity that only the church really makes possible. A lot is said in the Bible about how we died with Christ and he made us a new humanity. You can read about it all over. But here we see it put into practice. Who was Paul before he got saved? He was an elitist, snobby Pharisee. Right? Now let's look at who his brothers are. Who does he call his brothers and his co-workers? We've got a few Jews and a slave and a whole bunch of Gentiles and a no-good lousy quitter that he's now reconciled with. And all these are my people. They're all equal. These are my co-workers. These are my fellow soldiers. These are my brothers. This is the church. And so when he writes to the Colossians, as he did only a few verses before, and he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew. What does he mean by here? In Christ, in the church, in the kingdom. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. How is it possible? How can you live in that kind of unity? Well, what's the center of who you are? Because Christ is all and is in all. We've talked a lot about Jesus in Colossians, haven't we? The supremacy of Christ and about how he's over all the possible angelic powers and all that stuff. This is what it looks like when that plane lands on the ground. He captures your every moment. He captures your focus. You know he's the center of who you are and the center of your life to such an extent that you could call Jews and Gentiles and slaves and Greeks brothers because you're all in Christ and Christ is all of your all. This is not a suggestion. This is the reality that the church needs to get a hold of. We must live in that unity. That is the church. Love people. Live in forgiveness and reconciliation. Have the heart of a servant and live in unity. All from the final greeting section of Colossians. Who knew? Guys, let's pray. Let's, let's stand up to pray. Can I do that? Is that a pastor thing? I don't care. Let's do it. Yeah. Father God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for transferring out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, like you said in this book through Paul, Lord God. Thank you for not holding our sins against us, for making us new. And thank you for bringing us into the church. We love the church, God.